Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined a little bit later on in the show by Robert Rapier, a chemical engineer in the energy industry for over 25 years. Let me tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our feature is Nick Dulles, who is the president of CNX Resources. We recently had an opportunity to interview him on our radio show. Very interesting company to consider that we have not had a new built refinery in the United States uh, for quite some time. So very interesting story. I encourage you to learn more about Nick and his company, CNX Resources. Go to shellmag.com and click on the magazine cover to read all about him and many, many, many more articles on oil, gas, and business. I'd also like to encourage you, if you want to stay up with the latest issue of Shell Magazine and or the latest show of In the Old Patch Radio Show, please visit us on our social media pages, like our page, and you'll stay up to date on all of the latest issues as well as all of the latest shows. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and it's certainly hot. Uh, We're definitely into summertime. uh, Well, we are. (laughs) Well, and there's a lot of things that are getting uh, pretty heated, um, especially in the energy sector with uh, gas prices. Let's talk about our favorite topic, which, of course, is that both uh, the international Brent price and the price for West Texas Intermediate rose well over $120 this week. And that's a high. So where do you speculate that we're going to end up uh, or where are we heading from here? <laughs> Well, we're we're heading into uncharted territory, I'm afraid. Um, You know, it's not just me. uh, Pretty much every major analyst now is is predicting oil prices by the end of summer to be up in the $140 to $150 range. Uh, You and I have been talking about that for a couple of months now. And, and, you know, there's just no market factors uh, to slow it down right now, particularly with China lifting some of their COVID restrictions. I know they put some back on in Shanghai uh, later this week, but, uh, but really they're, they're loosening up all over the country now. And so demand is going to continue rising and there's nothing to really stop that. There's no viable alternative despite all the rhetoric from the Biden administration and uh, the governments of Europe and, and so it's, it's just going to keep going up because the other reason is that other than the United States, where Biden is doing everything to inhibit our industry's growth, the only two other oil producing nations with really substantial uh, available capacity that's not currently on the market are Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And, you know, their additional capacity is really pretty limited. And, and so there's just, the market's undersupplied and there's nothing to, to fill the gap, unfortunately. Well, and maybe um, 
you know, to put this in a term where our listeners can understand is so when crude prices go high, so we're at 120 and they're going to go higher, which is an all time high. It also results in higher crude prices. And so we're now seeing the world's uh, gasoline prices well over $5 a gallon. And I know in some states you had talked about, like California, it's even higher. Oh, yeah. Uh, is there any uh, thing we can look to, like how fast are we going to increase? If you're talking about us going from 120 to 140, the acceleration we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, what kind of prices are we looking at then? And is there any relief ahead of us for? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, they, they've gone up almost a nickel a day and uh, 25 to 30 cents each week. And I don't really see any factor that's going to slow that down. Um, so I'm afraid by the end of June, we could be uh, near $6 on the national average, maybe five seventy something like that. Um, and, and really... Um, you know, we're probably going to be over $6 a gallon sometime in July uh, on, on a national average. There's one gas station in California. I saw a video of them actually adding another digit to their sign to accommodate $10 gas prices and higher. And that's not an irrational thing for them to be doing in California. I don't think we'll get that high. Um, so it's just uh, demand will start slackening off uh, once summer's over and we will have a little relief, I think, uh, in demand for gasoline and diesel and maybe prices will come down a little bit. But, you know, it's not going to, it's, it's an ugly picture from here on out for several years, really. Let's talk about the Biden administration as well. Um, they, you know, despite the gas prices going higher, they 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 almost seem like they're continuing to double down on wind and solar. As, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I have to laugh every time I hear this. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen it when we had a snowgate here that they didn't perform uh, as they should have. Now, I'm not against them. I'm just thinking we should have all of them, but we shouldn't. Uh, as you've said before, pick winners and losers. The government shouldn't be involved in that. How likely is this a scenario that the government's going to continue to put more money in solar and wind versus, you know, maybe tearing up the executive order, canceling the Keystone Pipeline and, yeah. and permits through? Which one makes more sense in your mind to get control of these energy prices here, uh, at least here at home? Yeah, well, you know, um, I mean, I would love to see him rescind that stupid executive order. It was really about the dumbest thing any president's ever done, including Jimmy Carter, where energy is concerned. Um, wind and solar are fine, as, as we've talked about many times. There's nothing wrong with them as energy sources. We just have to properly manage them and recognize their intermittent sources. And even with battery backup, that battery backup is very temporary and short-lived. Uh, but, you know, this administration, as long as uh, Joe Biden's president, they're going to continue spending hundreds of billions of, of our dollars uh, on subsidizing these things and uh, get very little result from them. Uh, unfortunately, we're, you know, you mentioned the big freeze last year. Um, you know, we're on the same path here in Texas, really. Um, I don't understand it. I, I, I continue to be baffled by Governor Abbott's and, and other Republican uh, policymakers here in Texas. 
down the same path to energy instability on our grid California's tried and failed with for all these years. Um, but there's a religion. It's, it's a religious exercise. Uh, and it's uh, the dogma says that we can just replace oil and gas with wind and solar. And, you know, I guess until we just have a complete economic calamity and collapse, uh, it's, it, it's going to take some kind of major global disaster like that to, to at least temporarily stop this madness. Um, I don't really see them doing it of their own volition. What do you think happens in November should the Republicans take the House back? How effective do you see um, the, their party being in trying to uh, stop? I mean, I know they can't change it because Biden is still in office, but will there be any relief if, for the oil and gas industry if uh, the Republicans take back the House and the Senate? Probably not, uh, because, uh, you know, Republicans can pass bills, but the uh, president has to sign them for them to go into law and anything that is positive for the oil and gas industry, this president will veto. And, and you know, should he leave office because he's so old, his replacement, Kamala Harris, will also veto any such bills. And so there's really not any relief for this industry uh, until at least 2025 when a new president will take office uh, and, and only if that new president is a Republican. Um, so, you know, I mean, Congress, it's good to have control of Congress. It will stop madness like, you know, the current effort to revive the, the Build Back Better bill. Oh, my God, they want to go spend another two or three trillion dollars in, in despite all this out of control inflation we're experiencing. Uh, so that madness will end with a Republican Congress, but otherwise you can hold hearings and, um, you know, uh, but, they, but if you can't get a president to sign your bills and you don't have a veto proof majority, two thirds majority in both houses, then you know, you, you're, what you can really do is very limited. So, uh, I, I mean, I think it's urgent that we take control of Congress away from the Democratic Party. We've seen what kind of damage they will do invariably when they're in control. But, uh, you know, it's not a magic bullet. And, I mean, I guess, um, you know, as we have just a little bit of time left in this segment, but... It is is the desire to completely destabilize the entire grid, um, for you know, and well, it seems like it, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I you know, it's it's. I, I think we do make a mistake to just attribute all the damage they're doing to mere stupidity. Uh, I think some of it is active malice and and bad intent. And, and to, you know, to what extent it's one over the other, I'm not sure, but these people are not merely stupid. Right. Now, I think that energy has just become a very politicalized yeah. subtopic, and uh, it's, it's the redheaded stepchild uh, in this administration. So you're listening to In Law Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Now it's time for me to welcome my guest on the show, Robert Raker, a chemical engineer in the energy industry for over 25 years. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Nice to be here. I found you on Forbes. You do a lot of, uh, you're a senior contributor for Forbes. You also have over 25 years of international engineering experience in chemicals, oil and gas, and renewable energy. You also hold patents, uh, and you also have been on many, many media shows such as 60 Minutes, The History Channel, CNBC, Business News Network, CBC, PBS, uh, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The Economist, and many more. So you're definitely seasoned in media and you have a lot of oil and gas experience. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today to talk to us about what's going on in the world of oil. So let's get started with, first of all, there's a lot going on in oil and gas. You recently wrote an article in Forbes and it was titled, The Simple Way to Offset Higher Gas Prices. Now, in the article, you talk about how we all know that oil and gas prices are higher uh, than they have been in quite some time. But in the article, you, you, you kind of discuss how oil companies at the same time, while we're paying higher prices at the pump, Oil, uh, oil and gas companies are seeing these huge profits. And, and my question to you is, talk to us about the article. Do oil and gas companies really set their own profits? Yeah, so there's a really fundamental misunderstanding here, and I will see it. When, when oil prices go up, um, Republicans will blame, blame Democrats, and Democrats will blame the oil companies. And I saw, like, Bernie Sanders, for instance, he said, you know, if you want to know why inflation is high, just look at the profits of oil companies. He's got it exactly backwards. Inflation is driving profits, not vice versa. Oil prices surge, gasoline prices surge, and that increases the profits for oil companies. They have no control over that at all. I mean, in, uh, in 2020, when oil prices went negative, the, the companies that make up big oil lost $76 billion that year. Now, if they set prices, do you think they would lose money ever? They would never lose money. So they are at the whims of the commodities market. So 
supply and demand. Right now, we've got a situation where demand has recovered from, from uh, pre-COVID levels and supply has not yet. And so that has driven prices up very, very high. And I, I understand why people are mad. I mean, if you're paying twice what you were for gasoline a year ago and you're seeing the Chevron is reporting record profits, of course you're angry, but your anger is misplaced. I mean, they, they just happen to be uh, the beneficiaries of that. So the article I wrote said, if you really are upset, the way to beat these guys is to join them. I mean, if you had owned shares in Chevron, you could have easily offset your, your increase in, in uh, your gasoline costs. Um, and I gave an example. If you own 44 shares of uh, Chevron six months ago, you would have completely offset this year's increased fuel costs, and you've gotten $125 in dividends uh, to boot. So a couple, of, couple more fill-ups maybe there. Um, so I, it, it strikes me that the people who've been behind all the divestment movements, they cost universities and foundations a lot of money because gas, because uh, the, the oil company share prices have gone up so much over the past year. And I actually got a couple of people, uh, you know, talking smack to me on Twitter over this article. And they said, no, no, we need to be getting rid of these oil companies. We need to be, that's the bad advice to, to I'm just telling you, if you had bought an oil company, you would have offset your costs. Simple as that. And, and so people saying divest now, that may be feel good advice for them, but it's bad financial advice. And because you write for is it utility forecast of investing daily. Yes, I write utility forecaster for investing daily as well. So I cover the utility sector. So you have a lot of experience in this. And I think what the average common person doesn't really think about very long is that I'm not one to really, uh, you know, hit an elected official over the head. I have a great deal of respect for what they do or what they're trying to do. But remember, you know, we must remember that they're elected and they're coming from a completely different mindset and a completely different, different set of strengths. And this is probably not one of them. So when they're blaming these oil companies for these prices, they really are misguided. A lot of times it's by their staffers or chief of staff. Um, and if they paid attention and wanted to learn a little bit more about it, it makes a lot of sense. But for the average consumer to not understand that and then just kind of go along with it. But there's also a lot of really intellectual people, highly degreed, who also don't get the concept either. But I, I think, think sometimes they, they do and they just are playing politics. I, I mean, I've seen politicians that I know know better than this. And they're saying, you know, these greedy oil companies are the reason you're paying such high prices. And it's just good politics for them. They know that their audience eats this up. Right. Well, I mean, it does sound good politics, but it also is just, you know, just continuing to make the situation much worse. Right. It's bad energy policy. It, I mean, it sets up bad energy policies. When, and there when seems you... to be a lot of that going on. And when we come back from break, I actually want to get into that. And I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Russia, because another article that you've written was talking about Russia's oil revenue and how it's kind of spiked due to what's right. happening in Ukraine. But we got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Greater Houston Partnership and Center for Houston's Future invite you to the second annual Future of Global Energy Conference presented by Chevron, June 28th through 30th. The three-day conference will highlight Houston's opportunity to lead the transition to an energy-abundant, low-carbon world. 
An in-person luncheon and keynote presentation will take place June 29th at the Hilton Americas Hotel featuring Houston Energy Transition Initiative Chair Bobby Tudor and U.S. Chamber of Commerce Senior Vice President of Policy Marty Durbin. Virtual conference sessions diving into topics such as decarbonization of oil and gas operations and next stage development of CCUS will take place on July 30th, featuring nearly 40 experts from industry and academia participating in panel conversations. To learn more about the conference and to register, visit Houston.org. Hi, this is Kim Bilotto, host of the New All Patch Radio Show. Please be sure to stop by our booth and say hello. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert, a senior contributor at Forbes, as well as over 25 years in the international energy uh, industry in chemicals, oil and gas, and renewable energy as well. You have had a lot of speaking engagements on a lot of large uh, media platforms. So we're very honored to have you today here on the show to talk to us about oil and gas. Let me switch gears and just talk a little bit about an article that you also wrote at Forbes, and it was titled, Russia's Oil Reserves Are Soaring. Um, Tell me a little bit about, tell us why is it soaring? Um, And I'm assuming the Ukraine uh, invasion has a lot to do with it and the sanctions. So can you break that down and help me to understand why they're spiking? And how much did the Biden administration, was their forethought into what they were going to do when they put these sanctions and were they necessary? Right. So when Russia was was massing on Ukraine's border back in January, I believe it was January, I wrote an article that warned what would happen. I said, if Russia goes into Ukraine and we sanction Russia's oil, I said, Russia will probably come out of this pretty good because uh, energy prices are going to spike and they're going to make more money selling less oil. I I literally wrote that before they invaded. And so they invaded. We started to slap sanctions on them. Now, mind you, oil prices had already surged over the past um, 18 months or so. I mean, we've already sitting on a very, very high prices before Russia went in. And when they went in, we, I I wrote an article in the fourth quarter last year too, talking about how much oil we get from Russia. And it's mostly finished products. 
It's mostly diesel and gasoline and refinery inputs that we get from Russia. Now, it's only like 7% of our imports last year, I believe it was, but in a really tight market, that's a lot. And because it's finished products, uh, that helps out the refiners. And when the Biden administration decided to stop importing Russian oil, and, you know, it's an understandable decision. You, you're trying to punish Russia. You're trying to inflict a cost upon them. But I don't, I, I, you know, looking down the road, it's, it's obvious what was going to happen. Um, prices are going to spike very high. I've spoken to refinery managers who said this really threw us for a loop. Um, we are suddenly short diesel. We're short jet fuel. And demand has gone through the roof. And so they have to shift production as much as possible toward jet fuel and diesel. They don't have a lot of leeway, but they can shift it. Well, that, that decreases their gasoline production. At the same time, gasoline, you know, we're going into high demand season for gasoline. So all of those factors on top of the, on top of the oil price surge we've seen over the past 18 months, the surge we've seen since February is because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent response. Um, that, that we decided not to import their oil anymore. I mean, I've looked, our, our oil production is a million barrels a day higher than it was last year. Our recount is 60% higher. So things are coming back, but we're still not to pre-COVID levels. And that is still um, the fundamental reason that oil prices have risen up until January of this year. We just haven't gotten back to pre-COVID levels yet. Very interesting. Very interesting. Robert, is this something that is going to permanently, though, affect Russia? Because now with the sanctions, um, and we're going to go to break here soon, but what do you think this, how does this affect Russia in the long term after these things settle down when they finally do? Well, when things settle down and oil prices finally break, Russia is still going to have trouble selling their oil. I, I don't think people are going to forgive them for a long time. So it is going to hurt Russia. I just read an article this morning, Russia's having to discount their oil, but they're discounting it from $120 WTI. I mean, that, they're not discounting it, you know, to 30 or $40. Uh, you know, if India doesn't want to pay 110 $120 for oil, Russia might sell it to them for 90. So that's still higher than it was in January. So uh, Russia's still making more money selling less oil. So when this whole war situation settles down, you really think, think that Russia is going to have a longer situation of dealing with their energy at, at a decent price because the world is not going to want to buy their commodity. They're going to remember this invasion. We're going to get ready for break. When we come back, I want to bring it back more to uh, the United States. I want to get uh, your opinion on the Texas energy, how we're doing, and bring it back here to D.C. again. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Mark Thursday, September 22nd on your calendars for State of Energy Midland, hosted by Shale Magazine and the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show. The luncheon on September 22nd starts at 11.30 a.m. at the Doubletree Hotel in Midland, Texas, and you'll want to get your tickets soon as this will sell out quickly. It's State of Energy Midland, Thursday, September 22nd, starting at 11.30 a.m. For more information, go to shalemag.com or email josie at shalemag.com. Remember this name, oil field experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil field experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 
471-1923 and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Um, Robert, before the break, we were talking about Russia's oil reserves and how they were surging due to the Ukraine invasion. I want to bring it back to the United States and ask your opinion on Texas, because D.C. is giving a lot of complaints that the oil producers are not producing enough oil, especially to help Europe, which we've committed to providing them uh, their natural gas. Uh, As a result, we're seeing, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later on in the show, the price of natural gas and MBTU. But let's talk about Texas. Is Texas doing enough in oil production, in your opinion, to try to keep up with demand, as DC is insinuating in some ways that the oil companies are not doing their fair share to uh, ramp up the supply? What's the problem here? So I, just to talk about Texas for a minute, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I am I'm lived in Texas for a long time, so I, I, uh, I my I'm wearing my Texas A&M shirt. Today. There you go. I, I graduated. All the Longhorns are going to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost went to UT, but um, I, I looked at both to go to grad school. But uh, I, so I'm very familiar with the Permian Basin, and I've written a lot about the Permian Basin over the years because I think it is one of the most incredible oil-producing regions in the world. It's been producing oil for a hundred years. Yes. And impressive. And two years ago, when they started doing uh, uh, horizontal drilling and, and fracking out there, I started to see the, the increase, and I said, it's possible they'll get to 5 million barrels a day. And people said, that's crazy. I mean, that, that's crazy now. I mean, they, they've reached 5 million barrels a day. That is just such an incredible, in the grand scheme of the entire world, that is an incredible, incredibly prolific field out there. It's, it's amazing. Um, the oil companies, and I tell people, of course they're going to, they want to produce every drop of oil they can at these prices. And, and people have this image of, you know, Chevron sitting around a boardroom, you know, smoking their cigars and saying, uh, you know, let's restrict production to keep prices high and let's call up ExxonMobil and let's make sure we're all on board. And it doesn't work that way at all. Crazy how people think that that's really happening. I, I, I know. The, the problem is they're trying to forecast prices as well. You know, mm-hmm. I used to work for ConocoPhillips. I worked in an economics group and we'd meet all the time and we'd say, where are oil prices going? And, and for the average person, they can't fathom that. Aren't you setting all prices? No, we're trying to figure out. We're trying to read the tea leaves. We're looking at inventories. We're looking at production. We're trying to say, where are oil prices going? And then we try to plan accordingly. And so, you know, the oil companies right now today are saying, where are oil prices going to be in one, two, three years? And they're making investment decisions based on that because it takes that long for those uh, projects to start producing oil. And -hmm. so people don't understand. You can't just go out and turn up a tap. And and, uh, I mean, if you could, prices wouldn't be at $120 because they would have already turned up the taps. You know, they're, they're slowly increasing, but they're also suffering from a lot of the supply chain issues that are affecting everybody. Um, you know, there's been a fracking sand shortage. There's been a manpower shortage and, and uh, you know, lots of pieces of equipment, you know, that may, maybe they can't get that are, that are longer lead items than they once were. All these are affecting the oil industry. You know, you brought up that it's more of a global situation and these large international companies are trying to read the tea leaves and they're dealing with a lot of different things. Supply, like you said, inventory, global situations that are occurring. China was shut down uh, due to COVID and there's such a huge part of the supply chain. Let's talk about supply chain issues. Um, do you see them improving? I believe I read a media report that China is just now starting to come out of being in a lockdown for, for quite some time. Um, how is how fast does our supply chain issues uh, reverse itself and get back to norm, in your so, opinion? We so, know we have problems with minerals too, so. 
Right. So I was, I was watching CNBC this morning, and they said that they think the chip shortage is going to improve in the second half of the year. Now, that's affected everybody. That's affected vehicle production, and it's affected computers, and it's affected all kinds of electronics. Uh, that's supposed to improve the second half of the year. I think we'll see a lot of improvement uh, as we go forward. I mean, they, they always say the cure to high prices is high prices. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing wage inflation. We're seeing, um, you know, a lot of the, one of the problems in the oil industry is because of the ups and downs, a lot of people have just left the industry permanently. I have a good friend who said, you know, I can't take it anymore. I, you know, when the times are good, they're good. And when they're bad, I'm getting laid off. And I just, I want to go get something more stable. And that, that's one of the problems. But you know, you're getting a situation now where prices are so high that they're, they're, they're paying people very, very well and people are starting to come back. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're at high prices, they, you pay people enough money, they're going to come back and you'll start to fix some of those manpower shortages. That's happening, you know, even at McDonald's, you know, they're having to pay people more and more money and it's causing inflation across the board. We talked about supply chain issues and how, and fa how fast will they come back online. And I think the consumer does understand due to Christmas time when, when the, the ship's sitting in all the ports were really uh, on a lot of media outlets, they understood that problem. They're understanding when they go to try to buy a car, they're not getting a special deal anymore. They're paying above the sticker price in many cases. Well, let's talk about um, the uh, natural gas price as well. Um, MM, uh, the, recently they were at $9 per MMBTU and then fell back slightly. And that also triggers higher utility bills for the consumers. Right. So they're feeling that too. So it's at the pump, it's at the grocery stores, they cannot find toys and stuff for Christmas. Um, what do you think, when do you think relief comes for, uh, for uh, our utility bills and for natural gas? And of course, we're in the we're summertime, so there's a lot higher bills than normal. Right. Um, when does that reverse itself? So I think it's important to take a step back because one thing we haven't discussed is why did prices start to soar in the first place? And they started to soar in 2020. When what happened was when COVID hit, demand plummeted, and you had small oil producers that were put out of business. You had small stripper wells that were shut in. You had in oil companies stopped investing completely. You had oil prices drop to zero. And in the U.S., our oil production fell by 3 million barrels a day in very, very quickly. And coming out of COVID, the oil companies gotten burned, so they were a little bit more disciplined. They were a little slower. And again, they're trying to forecast. They've just gotten over zero-priced oil, and they're trying to figure, where is this going? So they start to bring investments online, and oil, the oil production starts to increase. Well, one of the major sources of natural gas is associated gas with oil production. So when oil production plummeted, natural gas production plummeted as well. Right. We lost a lot of natural gas production. And so as oil production is increasing, that associated gas is slowly increasing. It's getting back to where it was, but we're still short of, of where it was. Now, when relief will happen, probably, um, you know, I've, I've said for oil and gas, I think it's going to be after the summer. Uh, when summer driving season is over and oil production has continued to increase, I think we'll see some relief on gasoline prices um, you know, maybe September, October, we'll finally begin to see relief. Problem in natural gas is then we're going right into winter heating season. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think supplies will be in better shape, but then, you know, right, we're going right into demand season. The thing to watch, I always tell people, watch the inventories, watch where natural gas inventories are. And that'll give you a good idea. Right, right now is injection season. So they're putting natural gas into storage. And then when you go into winter, if you're not in really good shape, then you're looking at very high natural gas prices throughout the winter. And I, I think that's probably what we're going to face. But isn't it also a global situation, too? Because with our president saying that they're promising for our um, energy companies to help uh, Europe with their natural gas, uh, 
demand, if it's down, it's down, not just in the United States, it's globally. And so we don't have enough. Does that continue to just make the situation worse? Yes, that's going to keep pressure on our natural gas prices because we are trying to fill a, a shortfall from Russia's gas. So if, if we want Russia, if we want Europe off of Russian gas and we say we'll make up that deficit, well, we're already in a tight supply demand situation. I mean, it's a good time to be a natural gas producer or, or an LNG exporter. Um, or have mineral rights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing very well. Um, and, and the situation is not, I mean, even long term, if you're Europe, do you want to be beholden to Russian gas? And the yeah. answer is no, you don't. So you're going to start looking around and you've got Australia, who's a major LNG exporter, but the U.S. has increased LNG exports tremendously over the years. And I see that continuing. And so that will be continue to be a, a driver of prices. So, um, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't see us returning to 2 $3 MMBTU natural gas anytime soon. Well, Robert, with that, we have to take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about the price per gas. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. You're listening to in the oil patch radio show uh, robert before the break we were talking about uh net, the price of natural gas what's causing uh the rise and how it's affecting our utility bills let's let's talk a little bit about the price of oil prices jp morgan recently uh said that they believed that the price of for a barrel of oil is going to rise all the way to 150 and most people that are in the energy sector are kind of agreeing with it some of them are even agreeing it's going to go higher. Um, what do you think we are going to see uh, crude oil prices rise to here in the next couple of weeks or by summer right now while demand is so high? Yeah, there's not any, for, for those wishing for lower prices, not a lot of good news there. And, uh, you know, for the only thing mitigating prices right now is Russian oil is still getting in the market. If there was any way you could completely shut down Russian oil, I, I think we'd see $200 oil. So, because um, they, they are a major, they're one of the three, us, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Russia, they're the three major oil producers. So, prices are going to be very high, and $150 is totally reasonable. It doesn't look like sanctions are going to go away anytime soon. Let's, um, you recently wrote an article. Uh, it was uh, talking about we need a win in energy policy. In, on the show, I'll admit, we traditionally tend to line up with um, a lot of the elected officials are really making bad energy policies. Some of it is plain politics, but they're not aware of. They just really haven't thought about it. Tell me what is the problem with and how can we win with a good energy policy? What is the situation? So one of the problems is, you know, I, I believe in a renewable future. I believe in an energy transition. But the problem is... If you are too aggressive with that and you believe that, you know, renewables are going to be our primary source of energy sooner than expected, then you will tend to underinvest in fossil fuels. And you'll do things like cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. And I've written quite a bit about that. You know, this is one of the ways the energy transition can look. If you underinvest, if you punish the, the oil companies, if you you know spend all this money to get renewables there and they're not there and they're not able to fill the supply gap then you've got very very high prices and so i've always said the win-win energy policy is to make sure you do everything you can 
for a successful domestic oil industry, you don't cancel the Keystone Pipeline. You build that pipeline because, you know, TransCanada, now TC Energy, they were going to spend the billions to build that pipeline, and you work hard to make sure it's not needed. You, you invest the money in the renewables, but if you fall short, it's there, and it's bringing us the equivalent of what we were getting from Russia. Mm -hmm. That is a win-win energy policy. You, you don't, you know, you don't point fingers at the oil companies and blame them and scapegoat them for high prices and then punish them. You, you, you bring them to the White House and say, what do we need to do to bring, bring oil production higher? Meanwhile, you're still investing in renewables and you're still investing in renewable future, but you are not doing it at the expense of fossil fuel companies when we're still so reliant on fossil fuels. That's correct. First thing I would do is tear up your executive order on Keystone Pipeline that you signed the first day when you were in office. That being said, though, everything, you know, I think there isn't a person on the planet that isn't in agreement. We want to see a transition. But how fast and how uh, likely is it possible? And, you know, here in Texas, uh, we had uh, what I call Snowgate, a, a very large storm. And, and we saw that the problems with uh, some of the renewables, such as the solar, solar panels and wind turbines, when Texas experienced that extreme uh, freeze, uh, the solar panels were covered with snow and the turbines, uh, the motors had frozen on the inside and they weren't uh, workable either. And so Texans went without energy. Some, some went in for three days and some went for an entire week and it was super cold. And this is some of the problems with the energy transition that we don't think about when we wanna just flip a switch in, in, in the name of climate change. Uh, it, I think it's a very complicated uh, topic that you have to take pros and cons and think about it in right. a way that, you know, are we really ready to get off of oil and gas? So my last question is how, how long do you see in the future we'll kind of make this transition? When, when do we really get into other types of fuels? Because I think we're going to have fuels that probably don't even exist right now that are going to be better for the environment versus solar and wind. When do you see us really starting to make a change? We're, we're well on our way, but when do we really start seeing less dependence? Right. I, it's going to be a while. I, I, honestly, I, mean, so I know my renewable friends, they don't like that, but uh, we don't have any real fuels, liquid fuels, that compete with gasoline. Um, you know, ethanol makes some difference, but, you know, ethanol, I've always said, is really a gas to liquid scheme where you're taking natural gas, making fertilizer and providing inputs into the plant and making ethanol. So uh, it's not really purely renewable. It's a lot of embedded natural gas in that. Um, electric vehicles are probably the future. Um, you know, in a place like Texas, where people drive long distances, it's going to take longer um, you know, California, a lot more densely packed electric vehicles are, uh, are, are making a bigger dent there, but still their, their gasoline demand is still very, very high. And it has still risen. I haven't checked the stats recently, but as of a year ago, it's still risen, even though their electric vehicle sales leave the country. And so it's going to take longer. And especially with the fleet turnover, fleet turnover takes a long time. I mean, the cars that are being bought today are still going to be on the road 15 years from now. And so um, it's, it's just going to be longer than people think. 
Well, I think um, as a scientist uh, and a chemical engineer, I think that you have a lot of ability to forecast things properly and correct in all the years of your service in the energy industry. And I think, you know, if I could leave our listeners with anything, this is a very complicated topic. And we're all committed to uh, making a greener environment in the future to leave something to our children and grandchildren. However, it, it doesn't serve a purpose to just start pulling things off because the flip side of it, we have very negative impacts as well. Uh, and it can literally lead to loss of life or, uh, you know, poverty stricken countries need access to clean water and that requires energy, oil, and gas. So, so it's a not there. If the supply is not there when it's needed, you got big problems. That's I mean, and correct. that's what we have right now. The supply that is needed is not completely there. And this is just the beginning of it. You start thinking about you really, really don't have it, and you start thinking about there's a real world problem with life. It's not just uncomfortable because it's high uh, at the pumps. It's a very different situation. So it's a complicated topic. I do thank you, Robert, for coming on the show. And we look forward to having you back when we can talk a little bit more about oil and gas. Uh, for our listeners, where, if they want to follow you, where do they follow you on Forbes? Uh, Forbes is probably the best place. You know, I, I put out five articles a month for Forbes, generally, usually on oil and gas, sometimes renewable, sometimes batteries. But I cover the entire energy space. But right now, the interesting stuff is happening in oil and gas. So, most of my recent articles have been on Well, Robert, thank you for being a guest on In the Oil Patch radio show. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.